This week on Inside Marketing, we're going to talk about retail and e-commerce. The pandemic has seen an explosion in e-commerce, so we'll be discussing whether this is an artificial boom or whether it's going to be a new normal. We'll also talk about what the future looks like as the country opens up again. So stay tuned as we talk all things retail on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and welcome to this week's Inside Marketing, where we're going to talk about retail and specifically how retail um, has changed during the pandemic. We'll also look to the future and have a chat about what the world might look like as shops open up again and the country opens up. So I'm delighted to be joined by Maeve Canellan, who's Group Strategy Director at Dentsu. Welcome, Maeve. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be here. And thanks for joining me. And I'm delighted to also be joined by Pauline Brown, who's Marketing and E-Commerce Director at Curry's PC World Ireland. Welcome, Pauline. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Um, yeah, looking forward to this one because it's a, it's an interesting space and nobody knows what's going to happen. But maybe I'm going to kick off because you wrote an article in today's Irish Times um, and it's about, as I said, retail, but looking at habits during the pandemic and also looks at some potential development in the future. So it's well worth a read if anyone's listening. So, But the headline was quite interesting or the working title headline. It may change by the time it goes to print, but like 30 days to build a habit and will it last? So it basically poses the question about whether new behaviours will stick and namely our, our online shopping, the huge growth and online shopping because I think, yes, there has been huge growth in e-commerce, but it was a forced change rather than one that happened organically. You know, people had no choice. They're forced into certain categories. I certainly know from my experience, I know that like, I think there was two categories I, I never really shopped online. One was hardware, like Woody's and B&Q. Another was groceries. I just never did them. And I did them during the pandemic. I kind of preferred doing it the old way. I was made trial that category. So it definitely has pushed people into categories. So I think one of the things that you talk about, we're going to talk about some of the numbers now, but I think something that we forget um, when we think about shopping, like for a lot of people, the experience is enjoyable in itself. It's more than just a kind of a process of transfer of ownership of goods between shop to an individual. Like people actually really enjoy shopping. I think we should never forget that. So maybe we're going to kick off there. We know e-commerce has boomed, but like just how big, how, what has the growth been like in e-commerce in the last 12 months, maybe? Well, you talked to this in the article. So how big has it grown? Yeah, it's mad. I mean, I think the pandemic has definitely kind of acted as a catalyst, like a definite unwanted catalyst, but a catalyst all the same when it comes to the job of democratizing technology. So like more people than ever have been doing things online than ever would have before, like my mother doing her grocery shopping online. Mm. Um, And also pushing that digital transformation agenda. And we've seen that massively in terms of, you know, if it's SMEs creating an online experience to, you know, bigger brands creating much better checkout and CX or whatever that might be. So really it is that question of, is that behavior a result of just pure resilience during the pandemic? Or actually, you know, has that transformation created behavior that's here to stay? And I think it is an interesting one because everyone is kind of talking about the growth of e-com. And I think we can all admit to buying more online than ever before. I know I have. So I suppose like when we start like kind of like I suppose unpacking all of that, like we have seen massive growth in e-com. So Mm. like from the central bank, they're saying that 25%, we're seeing a 25% growth in the euro spent through e-com channels in 2020. But like we have to be cognizant that e-com is a growing channel anyway. So like what's it looking at normally? So I suppose over the last five years, you're kind of seeing a growth of like 19% in e-com cards year on year. So 
pushing that up to 25%, that's a sizable uplift. Mm. And then, you know, when we start then, but I think when it gets interesting is when we actually start seeing where it's coming from. And, you know, like if we look from a retailer perspective, again, we're seeing on average, like in 2019, in Ireland, 3% of turnover in the retail industry came from e-com channels. That leaped to 7% when it came to an average of year-on-year e-com channel growth in 2020. So again, another huge spike from 3 to 7. But I think where it becomes interesting is when the strictest lockdowns come in. Mm -hmm. Because in April, May, and I think November last year, that's when we started to see growth of uh, like, I think it was 15% of all turnover came from e-com in April and May. And then again, 12% in November. But interestingly then, the months where lockdown eases, uh, those lovely months where we were able to go into bricks and mortar, mm. go out and have some drinks, that figure goes back down to 4.5 and 4.6 again. Right. So you're seeing a dramatic decrease. So like we're seeing, and now again, that we're back in restrictions for Jan, Feb, March, those figures yeah. are back up to shot up to double digits again. Mm. So we're seeing massive correlation between e-com lines and then also being in restriction and not. But like, is that behavior there to stay? In some way, yes. But, you know, we love that shopping experience. Yeah, All you well, need so to do I guess, look- yeah, some of it will stick, but like it's an, it's an artificial moment. Pauline, just in terms yeah. of your, in your business, Pauline, but like, have you seen, I presume you've seen huge growth in online sales over the last, um, well, you know, give or take 12 months it was periods where we weren't in lockdown, but presumably you've seen a, lot, a huge increase in that. Has that been the case? Oh, absolutely. It has quadrupled in terms right. of, of the size of the business. I guess we would say that online was growing. We have mm-hmm. a, a great platform and that has been growing experimental over the last five years anyway. Um, and I suppose what the pandemic has done has pretty much brought forward our growth. Right. So people are now coming on site that had never done so before. The biggest customer group that we would have unlocked would be the over 65s group who previously would have not been wanting to buy anything from us really online. Mm. And now they seem to be very dedicated to that. What's most fascinating about the pandemic for me is to see the consumer trends in real time and to see the pandemic evolve almost through these consumer trends. So at the start, we saw unbelievable growth in anything to do with working from home, Mm -hmm. be it laptops, monitors, printers, But interestingly, this trend has continued all year long because people bought certain products thinking, I'm going to be working from home for one or two months. And they bought whatever they could get their hands on. And then they realized, okay, this is going on longer. I actually need a better laptop. I actually need a stand for it. I need need a printer at home. I didn't think I'd need a printer. I need more ink. So that trend on the working from home products has actually continued all year long. The interesting thing for me was as customers spend more time in their home, especially from May, April, uh, June onwards, they were using their kitchens more. So they were using appliances that maybe they weren't using all the time yeah. previously because they were going out for dinner, etc. So we saw this massive trend in terms of people uh, upgrading their homes mm. and particularly upgrading their kitchens. So massive growth in American style and smart tech fridges, right. premium washing machines, dishwashers, ovens, a lot of which I think was fueled by the high level of savings because people weren't actually traveling abroad. So they felt they could upgrade Mm -hmm. and buy better. The summer saw massive uptake in uh, smart fitness, so smart watches, people tracking their steps as they as they walk around the park or run around the park. Mm-hmm. Of course, with the barbers and hairdressers being closed, hair wraps, hair clippers, anything to do with personal grooming, razors, electric razors, all that sort of stuff became very important for our customers. 
we saw a very big step change in people wanting to treat themselves. So they were buying very high-end coffee machines. Right. The justification yeah, yeah. being, I'm not spending yeah. six quid buying two coffees a day going to to and from the office. So I now can justify spending over a thousand euros on a very sexy bean to cup coffee machine. Right. Yeah, yeah. Equally, so we saw a big uptake in terms of people buying large screen TVs and very large screen TVs, like 65 inch plus TVs, practically putting a cinema into their house. Mm. So I guess, again, they were justifying this by saying, I'm not going to the pub once or twice a week. I'm not watching sports in the local pub while having a point. I want to now watch it with the biggest screen. I want that entertainment area within my own home. We also saw a huge uptick in gaming devices. I suspect some of it was to entertain children, but a lot of it was to entertain adults themselves. So there was a big uptick for that. I think one of the most interesting trends, though, I did see throughout the pandemic is the increase in conversion. So customers were coming onto our site, they were clear on what they wanted to buy, and they bought it there and then. So conversion took a big upswing. Okay. Yeah. Have you just a quick a question of interest? You've seen a huge growth in online sales. Has that compensated for the lack in footfall or, or are you looking forward to open up again? Do you think your business is down since the pandemic or is it, has it replaced? We had a very strong year. Um, The Currys BC World stores were shut in the first lockdown, Mm -hmm. but have been open since because as an essential retailer, customers need access to items to work from home. Yeah, yeah. Book, refrigeration, all that. So we are actually, our stores are open. So we've had a really strong year. We have a great range online. Mm. This has really appealed to customers um, because they've been able to buy that range directly from us. Mm. Yeah, it makes total sense. And I think I found myself buying, upgrading certain things. And you're right, you forgot about that. As you're using devices more at home, you're why not? You're, you're going to trade up and you're going to spend more time at home. You're going to invest in that home. Maeve, in times of trouble um, and great distress and disruption innovation often rises from that because companies I don't hate the it's overused word but, but businesses have to pivot and they have to reimagine themselves so look while it's terrible for loads of small businesses and anybody affected from the pandemic that you know businesses will fold it's terrible but there, it's not all bad for everybody so quite often innovation thrives in these types of situations so you talked about some e-commerce innovations that happened during the pandemic so can you talk to me about a couple of those? Well, I suppose like when it comes to innovation I think like the best thing that I think we saw as a country is how, uh, and using your term, Dave, pivot. I was wondering how long it was going to take us to use that word. I've never used, that's (laughs) my first time using, that's its debut airing that I've never used before. Going to be one of us that was going to use it. (laughs) But how quickly, like, those SMEs did pivot from to an e-com world. And, you know, I think it was in 20. Uh, 20, 75% of SMEs had a website. And just to kind of put that in terms, there was 65,000 new .ie domains registered in 2020, right. uh, which is unbelievable. Like, you know, they're Absolutely. not all going to be like transactional, but just having that a- a- appearance, I think, is great innovation. And again, transformation in this world now. But um, when it comes to what brands are doing, and you can call it faddy or not, but like this year, like what I've seen as really, really interesting is how companies have tried to kind of generally recreate the experience that you have when you're physically transactioning now in a virtual world. And that's where we've kind of seen some great innovation. So like, I suppose the biggest one is with Daft used to be like, you know, one or two phenomenal houses would have a virtual reality tour. Now you can literally go sail agreed on a house without ever stepping foot in that house through like a virtual reality tour of that house itself. 
which is crazy, um, mm. but also amazing. And then, you know, you've seen other kind of brands really come through as well. I know Vodafone at Christmas created digital pop-up shops. So in the same way as you would in other areas, really creating that like opportunity to see in a digital world to kind of help with that re- the fact that the retail wasn't going to mm. be as strong. And loads of other brands are kind of doing the same, you know, like creating, uh, using AOR to visualize objects in your home is a huge one. Or even that idea of speaking to online bots and having more of online presence there Uh, Mm. like you know and I think creating shoppable everything Mm. being shoppable now so like live fashion shows where you can buy uh, different products online in that moment in time Mm. Um, and I think that's where we're seeing some really really nice innovation and it again it's you know tech like Shopify and Stripe and new social platforms that are really allowing us compete and have that presence. Uh, Pauline, from your from your side of things, have you look? You had a pretty good online experience, like you know, because you, you guys are a big company and you're large, and you've got lots of money to invest in your platform and your business. But like, is there anything you've looked at? Have you looked at any new things in, in terms of improving UX or CX or anything like that, or even in terms of the delivery experience or just improving that consumer experience since in the last twelve months? Is it an area you've you've done anything in? Well, I guess first, as you said, Dave, we had a great site already. Yeah. Um, we had already had the vision before the pandemic of wanting to be the ultimate in terms of a, an omni-channel retailer. Mm-hmm. So our infrastructure was there. We had a great team behind it that were able to ramp up straight away when customers needed it. So we were in a great space to begin with. We have we constantly look at our customer experience and online and how we can improve it. I think the thing that that most excited me that we did really quickly when the pandemic hit was we launched Shop Live. So we're the first retailer in Ireland to do so in any sector, and it allowed customers to have a video call with one of our in-store experts. Right. Um. So this allowed customers to see the product they wanted to purchase live um, and to get the advice from yeah. our experts from their sofa. It's fascinating what customers want to see. So we've had customers wanting to see the inside of the washing machine. We've wanted them to compare different sizes on drums. We've had customers ring in. They want to hear the noise on the hob, <laughs> on the on the buttons, because if somebody in their household, there's no certain noises irritate them. So oh, that's right. actually really important that they can hear the noise on the knob. So there's been some phenomenal questions asked. And I suppose for our customers, they're now getting that in-store expertise and experience talking to somebody live, yeah. seeing the product they want to buy from on- online and sitting at home. So we're working to blend the best of both worlds. Yeah, and that's br- that's brilliant because it is one of the things that I find that like you, c- you can research things and read about things. Uh, but like you, you'd spend your day reading reviews and everything and sometimes you just want to talk to somebody in person and have them show you the product and like... Okay, yeah, as as I said earlier, like we are in unnatural times. So, um, and maybe you talked in the article about this, the talk of a retail apocalypse is kind of greatly exaggerated. So yeah, online has grown, but it's grown because for most people, there is no offline shopping experience uh, in stores right now. And yes, the pandemic did accelerate a trend, but it, there's no chance a bricks and mortar is going to go away, as we said. So maybe when you think about the economy opening up again, you know, to some degree in a couple of weeks time or, you know, four or five weeks time, retail opening up again in some capacity. And Pauline, you mentioned it there, the importance of omnichannel. So the idea of online and offline existing in happy matrimony, you think that's the kind of the way of the future. So, you know, how do you see that? What Talk to me about the importance of omnichannel. And also, I think you mentioned in the article, a kind of more complicated or messier consumer journey that's going to come up. So explain that to me and talk to me about the implications for, for brands and connecting with consumers. Yeah, I think so. I think like a big point that I was making in the article was that it's not that 
you know, e-commerce is going to come and completely cannibalize a brick and mortar model. But also it's not that um, the pandemic has caused this massive surge in uh, people not wanting to go onto the retail or an issue with retail or bricks and mortar. I think there were specific cracks that were starting to show pre-pandemic in what I'd say is the traditional retail model. And, uh, you know, and we had started to see a lot of big store closures, like, you know, the closure of like Cleary's or some really, really big high street names, like, you know, even Boots and Zara closing different storefronts. And there's a lot of different reasons for why that was happening. But a big one was, you know, not embracing technology and their infrastructure and looking forward to what the new world looks like in a new economy where, you know, a a consumer journey is made up of now so many different combinations of touch points that are going to exist both in, you know, your virtual and also your physical worlds. And that's kind of what that omni-channel looks like. So it's not that people, uh, so yeah, I think uh, a retail apocalypse is what the press kind of named Mm. all of these store closures. Uh, Very dramatic. It's going to sell some headlines. It's absolutely not an apocalypse and Mm. I think absolutely not. But there is a shakeup happening of how we can embrace that technology. And, you know, like, I mean, you know, people still love shopping experiences in real life. All you have to do is look at the queue for pennies when restrictions ease. (laughs) You'll see Mm. how much we love that. But I think the big thing is that in order to survive, it's that understanding of the interplay between our virtual and physical worlds and the balance that can enhance the shopping experience. Mm. Um, And I think, you know, where it really comes into is that word experience. I think it's going to be massively used when it comes to omni-channel, but super important. And I think, uh, you know, uh, I think you can't really talk about retail. I I, I suppose like when you're looking at retail and what the future is of this omni-channel world, I think a great example is, you know, a a good few years ago, I think in 2015, Jack Ma from Alibaba famously came out with his vision of what he called uh, new retail. And it's that idea of, it's the initiative about connecting online and offline retail, digitizing your stores, all and all the reason to do that all about making better customer experiences and you know they have done that within Alibaba itself across multiple different categories of like motor retail grocery beauty but a really good example I think is around like 2018 their hummus stores which are like their grocery outlets hundreds of them around China and what these are are their kind of real example of new retail and it's kind of based on Three pillars, I suppose, would be the best way to describe it, of in real life shopping, then a distribution center, and of course, then your local robot restaurant. Um, and what this was is that, you know, a home, uh, but all of these three things were all anchored in a Huma app. So whether you go in store to buy your fresh produce, you have your app on, connect the Wii free Wi-Fi, you're able to scan every single product and uh, that once you scan it, you get the price, but also where it's come from, what your friends have said about the apple or, you know, anything, you know, maybe some recipe examples. Um, you go around, you do your shopping, you can uh, start. And I think it's really, really important that in real life, because it's that freshness of people wanting to be able to see, look, touch, feel the food that they're going to have. So that's all super important. Then you can like within the store, then you go, you purchase, it's all done through the Huma app that's obviously linked to Alipay. So you never touch a piece of currency or see another human if you don't want to. But the second thing, which I think is really interesting, is that the store is made up of a 
distribution centre as well. So if you live within three kilometres of a hummus store, you can get your groceries delivered to you within 30 minutes. And the big thing there is that it saves massively on costs. So you have this big distribution centre of people running around fulfilling people's online orders while also doing that uh, shopping as it would be. And then, of course, what you can do is you can order, buy, pay for food within the grocery, um, but then you can get it cooked if you want to, so that experience, and get it served through this robot restaurant. But I think the whole thing is it's multiple of different experiences, doesn't matter where you are, that you can use this grocery uh, shopping. It's all anchored in an app, so now they have all mm. of your data, and you can get these really, really personalized experiences. And like they've been so successful that property prices uh, around where hummus stores exist in China have massively wow. increased uh, because you want to be in that 3K. Mm. But that's been going on since since actually 2015 to 2018, you know, China is so far ahead of us in these kind of things. Mm. But I think it actually kind of gets quite exciting when you start looking at like how that omni-channel world, especially in grocery, is actually kind of starting to hit Ireland and how we are like we have like local retailers that are doing that as well. I mean, I think online shopping now, especially when it comes to grocery, is nearly expected. Uh, but mm. I think Musgraves are doing a really, really good job of even before that. They had online shopping, they have click and collect. I've seen some brilliant technologies that they're looking at bringing out, whereby when you drive into the car park, they'll have a technology that's able to read your number plate on your car and then be able to push out your click and collect tubes you never even have to leave your car amazing (laughs) but also yeah no it is it's cool but you know even things like you know uh, downloading an app for centra and being able to skip the queue so get that chicken roll without having that 1 p.m. rush. And then my favorite thing is that in Super Value now, they have a super scan wand. I don't know if anybody has seen this. Oh, this no. is what my lockdown this is. What my lockdown is. Uh, super Value and Cholester. But they have um, a, a wand that you pick up. And it's when you go in store, it's linked to your real rewards card. You pick up your flashing wand. You scan each item as you put it into your basket. And then you can leave through the scoop, super scan check. So all you have to do then is link your uh, rewards card to the wand and then you can pay frictionlessly and it's a much nicer experience. Again, it's like allows you kind of nearly pack as you go, Mm. no queuing, and then you have all of your details within your rewards card. So it's kind of this seamless experience. There's a lot going on there. Yeah. A lot of huge amount of tech that's happening. Uh, So they're doing loads of stuff in that. And then I suppose that's just looking at one sector of grocery, which you wouldn't really kind of look think of necessarily as that omni-channel world. Mm. But I think like what you're seeing are, is like, it's not straightforward anymore. You know, I remember we used to talk about research online, purchase offline. That doesn't exist. Like that would be great because that would just be an easy way to control a consumer um, journey, but that doesn't exist anymore. And I think what we are seeing is that there's more opportunities than ever before, especially in the virtual world, to discover brands, Mm. to be inspired by them and to get excited about them. But also every interaction that you have should be a shoppable interaction and an opportunity to purchase. And with all of that, so more opportunities to discover needing to be shoppable and have a clear CX and UX the whole time means that that consumer journey is becoming that little bit more complex Mm. or a lot more complex. So I suppose it's about navigating and understanding what touch points are important, how you can manage and control and use them and what are you using to anchor it to bring it all together. So Mm. what's your data strategy? like have you an app what's your tech infrastructure that it's allowing you negotiate all of these different touch points cool. 
Um, cool. Pauline, do you, Omnichannel, what, what, what are you, what's, you mentioned that earlier on and you're an Omnichannel retailer. So just talk to me because we've talked about, you know, so when you talk about these things and you talk about what's going on in China and stuff like, yeah, years and years ahead of us. But like in terms of how important is Omnichannel for, for you guys now at the moment and what are you doing in that space? Absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical to us. Our customers are no longer soulless customers. So they don't, as you said earlier, you know, research online, come into <laughs> stores and you have this dedicated guys that just shop in store or dedicated people that just shop online. Our customers' worlds and how they look and how they shop is blended. So our response as a retailer is to do exactly the same mm. for, for, for them. In some ways, I see it as not so much new retail, but actually customer service in a new way. Right. Yeah. So it's still the basis of 50, 60 years ago, customers went to the place that was easiest for them to shop. They got the best attention, best customer service. Technology has driven that into a new, a new right, sphere. Yeah. And I guess we're still giving the customers everything they want. So be it that they do their research online, they come into our stores and they buy. They want to sit at home, but they want the experience of the store and the expertise. And they can talk to somebody yeah. who knows more about the washing machine and they can do that through Shop Live. So I see technology as that great enabler for mm. us to deliver an even better customer service to our customers. Um, so I think that is really what's critical to me is using those touch points. And in a way, um, maybe you talked about shoppable moments. I think that's critical. Everything needs to be a shoppable moment for our customers to, to appear at the times and the moments that matter and are meaningful to them. And in some ways, I think it makes our job easier. Right, Instead yeah. of trying to communicate through display one message and another message somewhere else and trying to convert a customer in store after showing them a display ad, now our job is to convert them everywhere. Yeah, And actually, yeah. it gives us a very singular focus. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. Makes yeah. total sense. Um, I'm going to talk about a little bit now about some some trends. So maybe you, you touch on a couple of trends go in the article. So one of the trends that we that we see is this. I mean, you can call it whatever you want, but you you call it as being the kind of local versus global. So there's a lot going on there. Like we see this all the time. I see this come up in you know in every category. This kind of tension that happens with, with people. So the, so the desire to do what's good for society, good for the planet, good for everybody. You know, in conflict with often in conflict what's with the desire or the need to do what's good for me. And that's it. It shows up in lots of different categories. The analogy I would use: everyone wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And that's the the way I put it. So you see, so you know, we we all want to support Irish. Everybody wants to support Irish businesses. We all kind of what we say and what we. We do we want to shop local we want to buy green we want to support Irish businesses but yet at the same time we don't want to wait for delivery we don't want to wait a week for a delivery we don't want to pay higher prices for things we don't want to pay to return stuff so like that is just the expectation kind of we live in like sometimes our ideology is a conflict with the practicality of that so you know in in our hearts we all want to support local but you know when it comes down to it you're going to go with the best service and the best price that you can get so um amazon's a beast we all know that but even even when i think uh, and step away from like thinking about fashion retail for a minute so like i often think how hard it must be for irish businesses when you looking at asos even I'm not talking about amazon they already offer say pretty good prices to consumers it's free delivery, it's free returns and collection um, in a lot of cases that they can pick stuff from you. Like how, do you. like, how do you actually compete with that? I just think it's a really, really, really tough environment to be in in terms of retail. So, Paul, I'm going to start with you here. Like, how do you compete with Amazon? How do you compete with, with anybody? Because when, when you're, when you, I can shop in the UK now and I can get stuff delivered. Well, realistically speaking, maybe, maybe with Brexit, it's slightly difficult. But like, you're competing against everybody now. And one of the things that I found is that consumers are 
not forgiving at all. They don't cut you some slack and go, well, you know, they're an Irish. Even in terms of, I talked about the player, people's expectations of RTE's player is their Netflix experience. And it's that's what we have. The best provider, the best experience wins. So how do you guys compete with somebody like Amazon? Is it like, as you mentioned, your detailed service and your expertise? Is that something that you double down on? Absolutely. Look, we're the market leader in Ireland for tech and electrical, and we are the clear number one online retailer in Ireland for tech and electrical. Our customer, our ethos in our company and our focus has always been about helping customers to discover and enjoy amazing technology. And that's going to continue, be it in-store or online. I suppose as a true omni-channel retailer, we have a massive advantage because for our customers, they've got a real trust in our brand. They know if they buy something online, they can take it back in a store, for instance. They can talk to someone directly. That gives us a massive advantage. We have, we're the experts in our category. Mm. So we're not selling everything. We're selling very specific categories that we are the experts in that make sense to our customers. So they know they can get real advice and expertise within our store. So that trust we have because of being an omni-channel is a clear advantage over right. pure play online retailers. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, Maeve, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just talk about another trend that you had now. It, I don't know what you called it. I hope it's not yours, but it's called pre-tailtainment. Now, normally I love a good compound word. This is a horrible one. This just doesn't work. A pre-tailtainment. It's, it's a real mouthful. It's horrible. So my first question is, did you just make that up or is that an actual thing? And my second question is, what is it and what's it about and what's it mean for brands? So did you make it up? I would love to say that I planted it on you, Dave, just it's so you'd dreadful. say it. Um, it's just dreadful. <laughs> it, it's awful. It's, it, it, it's, it's terrible. But I definitely um, read it somewhere. I did not make it up. If I was going to make it up, I would like to think I'd make it up a better word. I'd like to but think yeah. so. <laughs> but, um, what is it? Pre, I think, pre-retail-tainment. Look, I think what this trend is all about is that kind of pre-purchase exploration um, and it's really that I like it's the entertainment and the fun it's the enjoyment you seek out from discovering and browsing so you know the idea of pinning something or previewing it or watching a streaming of Q&As about something you might be passive around it you might not be specifically in market at that moment in time but it's that joy of discovery like I know I'm a great one for hearting things putting things on my wish lists in different carts and like you know imagining my life with that perfect kitchen and then Pinteresting it around and it's all about that enjoyment that you get but there's I think like that absolute phase, especially when you're online of kind of the thrill of discovery is something that a brand can really, really play into because it's that like initial place that you're in on the customer journey. Uh, it's like how you start to enable like really nice, enjoyable content, creating like experiences that will move someone closer to the checkout, you know? So it's, you know, and it can be anything from reviewing posts, watching unboxing streams, teasers, using influencers, anything like that. But it's that like joy of discovery that will bring you from, you know, first interaction and, and push you down that consumer journey. Mm. And I think like, actually, you know, one of the things is that, you know, when we start looking around e-com channels and online, sometimes it can be quite lower funnel thinking. And really, this is about how we kind of push people out of that lower funnel and try and get that into that discovery and inspiration stage. Super important, but looked at a little bit differently. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and one, I'm going to talk about another trend now. And Pauline, I'm going to start with you in this because say it happens a lot. Um, well, it happens a lot everywhere. But like showrooming, Maeve, you mentioned it's in the article. Showrooming, it's nothing new. We've heard about it for a while. But I say it's a real pain for retailers. So, the, you know, we, we know what it is. The idea is somebody goes into the shop, talks to the expert for 20 minutes, asks all the questions they want to do, then saunters out the door and buys it online. And, you know, it's, it's it just happens. There's nothing you can do about it. It happens everywhere, I guess. But like I'd say it happens quite a lot in terms of tech products or or stuff where it's like fashion probably doesn't happen much at all. But, you know, you you might want to look at it. But Paul, and I say it's, it happens a lot in your business. So there's not a lot you can do about it because you can't tell who's genuinely browsing or interested and who's just, you know, kicking the tires and is going to walk out the door and buy it somewhere else. And I think you've, you've, the, the shop live thing probably addresses that. But Pauline, do you see much of this? Well, I'm sure you don't know when you're seeing sometimes, but what what can you do to protect yourself from that? Can you do anything at all? Or is shop live a great example of how you kind of double down on that? So you kind of, you, once you've got people in there, um, it's easier to convert them once they're talking to the, like they're less likely to waste your time when they're talking to your guy in video call and then say, okay, see you now. I'm going to go off and buy it somewhere else. But I guess it happens. What do you do or what can you do? Dave, as the online director for Curry's PC World, I have absolutely no problem with any customer <laughs> that wants to come onto curries.ie and shop online. So I'm going to start by saying yeah. that. I think this goes back to what I was saying about the Omni customer. So what we're seeing is a customer will go online, they will look up the washing machine, they will look at the specs, they will check the price, they'll check if we have stock in their local store, and then they'll come into Curry's and they'll buy it. So they'll have done all, they'll nearly have completed 90% of the journey actually online, but right. then they'll physically get in the car, drive to Blanchestown, go into Curry's and they'll pick it up. Equally, we have customers who come in, as you said, have that full experience, they want to think about it. Sometimes yeah. it's a three or four thousand euro um, yeah. TV or it's a two thousand euro uh, American style fridge and they want to go home and they want to almost process, yeah, think yeah. about the space and they'll go, you know what, I do want to buy it. And then they'll go on to Curry's.ie and they'll purchase it. But equally, you have to be competitive on price. Yeah, and that's true. something we have as an advantage. So I guess I don't fear somebody leaving our stores Mm. and going online to see if they can get it cheaper because I know they can't and they'll yeah. come to that realisation and in their own mind they're then happier with the transaction because they've done the work themselves. Yeah, good point. Maeve, you, your thoughts yeah. on that? I agree. Like I don't think we should be looking at showrooming as something massively negative because it's kind of changing now that we have this omni-channel world that we're living in um, and I think it's really about how we can... how brands can lean into that behavior and mm -hmm. own it so taking comfort in the fact that like you know as Paulo was saying like your brick and mortar is doesn't always have to be 100% focused on transaction yeah. but it's more about how can we create an experience that you might not get on site so it could be that personal experience mm -hmm. getting to know the product touch feel it a little bit more and then being happy to, to take it away uh, and there's loads of examples that are doing it really really well but it's just like taking like a, a new view of what maybe some retail might look like there's a, there's a retail startup called Showfields uh, in the state, and they call themselves the most interesting store in the world. But what they do is they take D2C brands, they're like online brands, um, and they take those online brands offline into the brick and mortar retail space, which is really interesting. And the goal is to kind of demonstrate the power of taking an online company offline so that both that, so that omni-channel world can exist a little bit more for those brands that maybe wouldn't have the, you know, budget to have a physical uh, store. Mm -hmm. And before lockdown, but I suppose 
their department store, they're a retail startup because they're like no other, because they're really recreating the experience of the brand. So every brand, when you go into this department store over floor, four floors, has kind of like their own shop front that's nearly like an installation and has a huge amount of effort. Really thought about the you like the customer experience yeah. when you go in and how it looks, feels, smells, everything like that. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that they did was they created an immersive theatrical experience that they call like House of Showfields. So you so it's very New York. Like you go in and you slide down, uh, you go down a slide, you're met by a bunch of oh actors. God, I'm, already, I'm already annoyed at this, but go on. I was about to say, it's really your thing, Dave. <laughs> yeah, but like, so not my um, thing. you know it's it's super but it's a real it's like I think it's quite it's super immersive right Mm. so you're met with these actors they have a personality they're telling the story of the product but while kind of telling you the ins and outs of it putting it on you getting you to test it so really kind of you know putting the product into your hand and then they have artists that they've commissioned directly to create this fun and imaginative immersive installation and you go through like a story within the actual experience and look you know this is the way other side of experience in retail but it's really showcasing kind of you know you should actually google it because visually it does look incredible and um, mm. i'm sold on some I products will. i'm an easy sell but like i'm totally sold on some of the products anyway but it does work i mean what they've seen is that when they have that experimental experience the brands that they're working with have seen two three times mm. an increase in product sales for them over that period of time and people want to go like it's a ticketed experience um and you know i think they sold 10,000 or they give out the tickets 10,000 over one weekend that kind of stuff totally sold out yeah. but you know you are seeing other kind of shops doing this as well and like loads of them especially in the retail world um probably more you're seeing dave is like the adidas flagship store you know now we're all, talking now, now we're talking, talking. <laughs> Do I go down? Do I go down a slide on it? And do I met by actors who are t- putting product on me? No, not yet, but maybe because what you can do is get a personalized T-shirt, oh, um, get your pick with Addy Dassler. You can they have like a bleaker bench sit, set up that you can sit on that and watch classic sports. Well, maybe I don't know Zara and Alex do a bit of shopping. Yeah, I don't. Um, I'm a grown man, fully grown man. I'm not sure this. Uh, this might be my bag, but it's. Look, do you know what? It's about, and and it happens everywhere. It happens. Mm. Uh, no, no, I get, I get, I get it. Another one I'm obsessed with, but I don't think you're going to be only <laughs> with uh, Dave is Camp, which is actually a toy shop that's being created by BuzzFeed. Um, and it's actually quite interesting because in an era where, you know, massive toy shops in a bricks and murder kind of world in a traditional sense are closing down, mm-hmm. like poor old Toys R Us, that kind of stuff, BuzzFeed created this toy store called Camp. And you go in and it looks like just traditional boring toy shop. But then it's a secret door and you get brought through the secret door by camp staff and you get brought transported into a world that is literally like an American camp. Uh, like a fun camp that kids go to summer camp uh, where Mm -hmm. you have loads of different activities and toys there's loads of different things that happen every day loads of slides you can like really play but everything is linked to a retail element um so again uh it becomes a destination and an experience that sounds cool no problem with that that sounds good that sounds (laughs) that sounds fine sounds like it's pretty cool again probably because you know i'm just not into that stuff kids toys that world of imagination makes total sense i just kind of it wouldn't be my bag if it was 
going into like a men's store and all this was stuff was going on. But hey, it's a trend. And I think the point is that you're saying, you know, there's different levels it's of experience, but it's becoming the experience is becoming much more important. Um, you know, um, yeah, in exactly. real world. Yeah. Absolutely. Another thing, just quickly chat about social. So social is one of these things, a little bit like I think it's a bit like the way digital used to be. It's becoming too big to be talked about as a channel because what we've seen quite a lot of is um the convergence of social with and insert whatever you want here. So whether that's um sort of content, watching content like television content uh, with with kind of people watching, I don't know what it's called, Amazon have it where you can have watch parties and and kind of second screening or whatever, all this kind of stuff where it's all socialized watching television shows. You've seen it in terms of commerce has happened. We've seen the convergence of social and gaming. So social commerce and the and the um and the blending of those two worlds is a growing space. So Maeve, talk to me a little bit about social commerce because it's, it's it's one to watch. It's a it's a really interesting space. And like we without even getting into what could happen with you know, cryptocurrencies and Facebook getting into that world. Just talk about what brands are doing in social commerce at the moment. What are the interesting things happening? Yeah, I think it's an interesting one. I suppose like social nowadays, sadly or not, it's really just like a reflection of our lives. So whatever we do in real life, you can kind of do on social now, which um, like it or not, a bit terrifying. But I suppose with that in mind, social commerce is really just that idea of being able to perform everything from your very first interaction with the brand to transaction all through your social platforms. So, I mean, it's kind of win-win because your customer reduces friction in terms of customer journey. You don't have to leave a platform. I, I'm scrolling through Instagram. I see a nice scented candle that looks great. I click on it. It brings up a social, like an Instagram shop. I can mm. click on that, buy it in like two clicks and then go on to scrolling again right. for my next shopping experience. So it really reduces that friction. Like for a brand... I think what's great is it reduces the amount of touch points and the likelihood, I suppose, of that like a leaky bucket, I suppose, mm. leaving the purchase funnel. So again, keeps them there in a concentrated space to just get that lead to the conversion. And then again, it's ideal platform. It's ideal for the platforms because the pure person doesn't leave. So we're seeing kind of all major networks create these shoppable storefronts right. where you can see an ad and then it's two clicks to purchase never leave the app and that's across insta and everything like that um i think where it starts to get like more interesting is when we start looking at you know like the new capabilities of social platforms and you know where we're seeing a convergence of interest in live events and mm. um, plus community plus shoppable formats is you know where you can really start to do some great things like myself and um Sinead who's a, a social strategist in iPro uh, we were watching uh, uh doing research obviously but we were watching uh Alive for Cos, which is uh, a women's fashion label. Uh, and what they had was two stylists through Insta and they had two stylists and they were show, uh, both trying on different uh, looks from the newest season. And as they were trying on the clothes, they were demonstrating how you could wear them. And then they were shoppable at that moment right. in time. So you can go from that you know, yeah. time of inspiration. But as that's happening, people are able to comment, oh, that's really, really nice. That would go with this, mm. blah, 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 blah. So you can kind of start seeing how that community live shoppable experience really, really works. And then you can also talk to your pals while you're doing it. Yeah. And I think that's where it becomes a really, really interesting yeah. area. It makes probably, in my head, and I'll probably be proven wrong, makes total sense in terms of the launch of fashion is on a catwalk type thing. It's the, That's the concept. Pauline, I guess in your business, are you doing much in social? Because I can't imagine those things happening about people talking about washing machines or 
um, laptops or even television. So have you guys experimented with social commerce or what do you or have you planned to? What are your what are your thoughts on that? Because I'm not even sure about the complication of do, like, do you lose a portion of the sale when it's when it's w- within an app if Facebook own that? If they're not going to set up functionality for nothing, you're going to be giving away margin. So is that something you've looked at? Well, actually, and you'd be surprised at how interesting people can be in products. Don't get me started on the knock-on <laughs> fridge from LG. That's all I'll say. My team oh. will say, never mention it in front of her. I can do a full <laughs> 25 minutes talking about knock-on fridges. Uh, it is something absolutely, look, we have to be, as an omni-channel retailer, at the moments that matter to our customers. So mm-hmm. it's like that. When they're looking up what they want their new kitchen to be, we have to appear in those moments. We have all the shopping feeds. We are on Instagram. We are on Google. We are on Facebook. So we've leveraged through all those. And I think, mm-hmm. as May have mentioned earlier, it's about making every touch point uh, a shoppable moment for customers. Yeah. And social and those channels are phenomenal. So we can see that somebody maybe bought this really funky, amazing green kettle for instance and we can then serve them up the green toaster that matches that kettle as an add-on moment and now Mm. we're telling you you know what you can now change the look of your kitchen without changing the tiles because you're changing the color of the appliances and it can make Mm. a big difference Mm. so those they are phenomenal channels for us and what I love most about all these channels and all the new innovation, we can see very quickly if they're working mm. because it's automatic. So so it's so quick. You can bring new things on. We work with our partners all the time to see what is the latest, what else we can be doing. Yeah. And it's allowing us to fail really fast. So you invest for a period of time. You go, see you know what, the return and that is great. Mm-hmm. Or the return isn't so great. And you move on to the next thing. Mm. So it, it's brilliant. And it's, it's really energizing in the team, actually, yeah. to go after to try all these new items yeah test and learn absolutely um you know get in test it before you the opportunity cost of getting it wrong becomes too high so yeah great so i am wrong i knew i'd be proven wrong i said i might be proven wrong here and i was proven wrong so but that happens all the time i'm used to it now um but given all we've talked about now in terms of the importance of of having an, an e-commerce platform and even you know how you can get into it you can ring fence things you can you can dabble in it without having full e-commerce you can do things with social potentially i'm still amazed at how many companies have either don't have or have a really bad online experience so um right at the start of the pandemic i mentioned i mentioned that like diy was just something like it was a trip to the store something that used to always be that for me and um, but i went on to b&q's website at the start of the pandemic looking for something and i was in a queue for 50 well i was told wait time was 57 minutes to get into the to get on site I was like, oh, in this day and age, like, how can that still be a thing? How how do you expect somebody to do that? Like, it's even like it's just not going to happen. Um, and then we mentioned pennies earlier on. Like, if we're in lockdown a year, you look at the queues at pennies, and then I'm thinking, what is going on? I read I read that the cost of the pandemic is going to could be as much as a billion euros, or maybe it was in pounds to, to pennies because they'll have closed something like 305 of of 390 stores globally. And then I'm thinking, we're going to lose a billion. How much is an e-commerce platform going to cost to make? Why don't they do this? And clearly they're not stupid. So I'm saying, well, I just didn't understand why they hadn't done it. But I read an article, I think it was, I read an article in the Irish Times about two weeks ago, and this kind of links some of the things we were talking about. So the penny say they've no, no plans to go into e-commerce and they, they will not do, they no, absolutely, it's just not going to happen. And one of the big reasons they say is because the rate of return. So in store, rate of returns are about 8%. Online, they're over 30 and they say it's just cost too much money to administer that. So I think for low margin goods, and we're going to talk about this this tension between price and purpose. If you've got like 
an item that sells for a tenner. It's not worth their while setting people up to offer free delivery because that's what's expected, free returns because that's what's expected, and then even processing of those returns. So that's why they're just not going to do it because they're fast fashion. So I think when when we think about those fast fashion things, I read, I saw a documentary on, um, or I don't know what it was, it was on BBC or something about Amazon. They're saying most of these returns are just binned. Most of the fast fashion things are just binned because it costs less to throw them in a bin than it does to, to process the return and the, the human cost of that, that people to actually pay people to actually take them in. It's just logistically it's a nightmare. So, sorry, that's a bit of a long rant, but an open question here. There's a couple of different things coming together we talked about. Like, if you're getting a T-shirt delivered to your door for 10 quid, um, as much as you'd like to think that you're kind of, you have morals and you want to, um, you know, do right for everybody or right for me, if it's a t-shirt landing at your door for 10 quid, somebody is getting, multiple people are working below minimum wage to get that t-shirt to you. That's, that is just a fact of life. So I think when we think about this balance between price and purpose, do we think that, um, you know, consumers should care more? Should we be more conscious about somebody has to pay for free delivery and free returns and inevitably it's people on the supply chain. So am I being naive and thinking that because I keep reading about people want values and expect companies to have values. Am I being naive and thinking that this is unsustainable, this fast fashion thing? It's like pennies can't afford to go into online because of the cost of cheap returns and, and customer expectations. Maeve, should I care? Am I naive to care? Do you think this is, I, I, it just doesn't seem right to me. It just doesn't seem right that, that you know, cost of stuff is so cheap and people won't pay for it. What do you think? I mean, I think there's so much there, Dave. Uh, and you are right. Like, if we're speaking about utopia, then every single person should be getting a fair amount and we should be knowing where things are coming from. And it does come back to that good for me versus good for the world. Um, you know, and even I read something a while ago and it was in terms of Ireland versus the world, you know, last year it was very much about like support your local retailer um, and everyone was going green. And, you know, around Christmas time, there were these brilliant lists that were going out of like all of the different Irish shops that you could buy from. And I think a lot of us did do that. But well, like, where does that come from? But actually I can get it cheaper here and it's going to be delivered to me quicker, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And I think 53 percent of people said they had done most of their online shopping with Irish SMEs last year uh, or since the part of the pandemic. However, unfortunately, that number has already started to decline. And this year, only 49% of people have right. said that. But, um, and I suppose you have to kind of like, I suppose I take solace in the fact that, you know, again, there is a more activate uh, or a consumer that is more active and cares more about the world and it's our Gen Z's and our millennials they're really into like sustainability there's mm -hmm. you know this idea of fast fashion that um, you know now it's very uncouth they're not cool to be like buying into fast fashion and, and, and they're, that's a really good thing uh, I think um, a report done by iPro have kind of said that almost 8 out of 10 Gen Z's now declare they've purchased or want to purchase pre-owned repair or in right. products so that's good it's a start I guess yeah it just I mean it just when you look at Amazon grown and you look at the you look at the amount of stuff that that gets pushed through washes through the system all the time and then you just see that mm -hmm. like it's cheaper to throw something in the bin than to to you know repack yeah. it up it's just it doesn't seem right but anyway I mean I think consumers are you know with brands but we all have our part to play in this honestly like if you if you are buying something I sent myself like if you buy and you go into pennies and you see I don't know how they make money because something had to be had to be taken from you know cotton to be spun to be you know designed to be stitched to be transported to be hanging on the shelf to be cash registered to sell to me that's three quid for a t-shirt like 
and it's a behavior like I think firstly like consumers are more discerning than we give them credit for and they're smarter than we give them credit for so it's a behavior that's definitely going to hopefully change over time mm. um, I think as well but like what we have to do is like really look at you know when it comes to local brands and the power of like brand and and, te- and the, the you know people don't want to just buy products anymore they want to kind of be really make the products and the brands that they interact with kind of create a perception mm. of themselves right so like they want to have brands that have integrity that are support loyalty and community and that overarching idea of purpose is is really really important and you do see some like uh, and I think it's also like when it comes to that future of retail as well you see power in kind of creating that community or that tribe you know a, a brand that I've kind of been watching afar of is um gym and coffee it's like a it's an Irish sports athleisure wear I would imagine is what it's called um and it started off as an athleisure wear that was promoted through social then it became digital, right. uh, had a, sh- a digital st- shop storefront. And then it just became this kind of tribe of people wearing your gym and coffee hat, you know, you know, taking a nice Instagram picture of me with my cool hoodie while having a coffee and out on a walk um, and then making that, you know, a trendy thing to do. And now you've seen them grown mm. from social to digital storefront to now physical locations around Ireland so that puts uh, like for me like a bit of like power in you know brand and local and community and in that supporting Irish and making that decision you know yeah yeah I agree so I'm just gonna I I want to ask you a question here about like so we know and everything we talked about when the world opens up again and and you guys are open but we're like when everything else opens up there's definitely going to be well, there is pent up demand, so we have quite a lot of cash people. The pandemic didn't hit as hard as, as I think we might have expected to hit. Look, don't get me wrong, it hit certain people very hard, but more often than not, most people are, are better off than they than they went into it financially because they just haven't been able to spend money. So there's going to be retailers better be ready um, for when when everything opens up again. And that is easier said than done in terms of, you know, because you can't stockpile lots of stuff um, and take it back because you've got to store stuff and particularly, you know, storage costs are expensive. So, but in terms of Brexit, I've seen it myself. You go into certain retailers and stuff is not there. Shelves are empty. It's not because people are buying it. It's because it's been delivery. Um, it, it's slower to get stuff into the, into Ireland now. It's just more complicated. How are you guys set? Are you guys set for full reopening? Because I know even though you're open, people are still afraid to go into certain stores. So you might be open, but people, you know, are are shopping less. But once we get to a situation where vaccinated a bit more, everything's open, people are comfortable going back out. Um, Are you guys set up? How's your logistics supply chain? Have you got, you have an issue, like has Brexit caused you guys a a bit of an issue getting stuck in or have you managed your way through that? Are Are you all set and ready to go? I think everybody had teething issues at the start, but all of those have been rectified now. As you said, we are lucky our stores are open, which means that our supply chain is fully open and optimised. Mm. Um, I know that we have stock ready to come in. We have our stores are pretty much fully stocked at the moment and we are ready for that reopening and for the customers when they come back out shopping. Um, we have, we are lucky, we have an amazing supply chain. Our colleagues are so dedicated. They're so agile. I've never actually met a group of people that are so customer focused. They're mm. about finding solutions. There's never yeah. a problem, but there's lots of solutions and yeah, they're brilliant yeah. from that. And I suppose that's great because it does mean that when there is an upsurge of people coming out and when people want that per- in-person retail therapy, mm. we know we will be ready for it. So we're in a great position. 
Yeah, uh, great. Sounds good. And yeah, I, I'm sure you'll be, you'll continue to do really well as, as we open up. We're nearly out of time. I just want to wrap up one thing. So again, open question, whoever wants to take it can. Um, I think it's fair to say online is never going to replace bricks and mortar fully. It's not going to happen. But it's also fair to say that online will continue to grow. It's not going it, to, it, it might, it might recalibrate a little bit. It might drop off a little bit once everything opens up again, but it's, it's got, the trend is going to keep growing. So I read a stat, I was working on something and I read that our attention has gone from 12 seconds down to eight seconds on average attention in, in just as little as 20 years. And, and you know, there's loads of stats, but one I read recently about the, the lack of patience we have that if your load time moves from one to three seconds, your bounce rate increases by as much as 32%. So like that's incredible. People like they want everything and they're completely unforgiving. So it's ruthless in terms of um, CX. So the expectation for consumers has never, never been higher at the moment. And they want everything. They want ethics, they want value, they want service, they want everything. Um, and they want it now. They want it like, you know, Prime in the US has moved to within the hour delivery. This is the way the world is going. So um, Paul, I, I said open question, but I'll start with you. How important is UX and CX as we move forward now, going forward? How big is it? And if you don't get this right, how vulnerable are you? Dave, it's, it's, it's vital. But then, as I think we talked about earlier, customer service and that user experience has always been yeah. vital. And when I, when I think about user experience, I'm always reminded of a quote by Fergal Quinn, actually, and he would have set up uh, Ireland's first online grocery store over 20 years ago, he started selling online groceries. And he's always said that your business looks different from the customer's perspective. So jump over the counter and see it from their perspective. Mm. And I would say it's exactly the same right, yeah. for us as e-commerce directors and e-commerce managers. We need to get out from behind the platform. We need to look at our websites completely through our customer's eyes. Yeah. Slow loading, broken links, bad customer experience. They're just not acceptable. Yeah. And I would say as retailers, what we do is so simple. We have products, we sell them, customers buy them. Mm-hmm. But to win our customers' hearts and minds, we need to do the ordinary extraordinarily well. And that That's means cool, having yeah. the best experience for our customers. Yeah, brilliant. Loads in there. I like that. I love that kind of, because I think we can, you can overcomplicate things. You really can. And but, but I think you're right. Channels may have changed. Routes to market may have changed. The way we buy may have changed. Fundamentally, the basics have not changed. We we buy things from from people that we want to buy from, and we expect great service. and And I think that's a lovely way of putting it, looking at it from the consumer's point of view. So, um, Maeve, what are your thoughts? Anything to add on CX and UX? I mean, I totally agree. I think uh, it is should be absolutely centric to any media marketing strategy. And uh, like, as Paula says, go and act like a customer and see what it's like mm. yourself because we're all customers and humans too. Um, so it's invest in those customer journeys, understand what they look like. And like, I think the thing is that there is no allowance to have a bad UX or CX because a customer is going to have multiple experiences mm. from multiple different categories. So a good experience is going to raise the bar for all. Mm-hmm. So if I can buy something with two clicks on my Zara app, <laughs> then I should be able to do that with all yeah. other kind of retailers. Um, and if not, it's going to cause bad experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. Well, thank you. We That's all she wrote. We're out of time. So I just want to say thanks, Pauline. Thanks a million for joining me today. It's brilliant. It's great to have client perspective in these things because too many of them are kind of agency and publisher side. So thanks for coming on. 
Thanks for having me on. No, prob- no problem. And Maeve, uh, thanks for uh, joining me today as well. But thanks, guys. We got there. And uh, I want to say also thanks to Andrea in, in Sound and Care and Marketing. And as always, thanks to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions. I know Rob Kinsley will be listening to this one intently because it's an area he's passionate about. So if you like this episode, follow us, tell your friends, tell your colleagues and listen back to some of the other ones. Um, you'll find them by Googling Irish Times Inside Marketing. So until next time, stay safe. Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.